0: It's time to take command with former NFL tight end
1: Logan Paulson and former Commanders beat reporter Craig Hoffman. The Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And today we preview Seahawks and Commanders. Uh, Before we do that, Logan, uh, we wanted to kind of Take a little bit deeper dive into the the biggest talking point I think of the week in Commanders Land, which is the improved protection for Sam Howell. And it's interesting to hear Howell talk about it yesterday, as we record this on a Thursday. Uh, he talked about it Wednesday morning, and then Ron was asked about it and talked about it Wednesday afternoon at his press conference. And uh, everyone seems to think that the offensive line got better because the the debate slash commentary around sacks is the offensive line stinks or is good and the reality is that it is much more global there is a lot of factors going into this so when you think about play calling sam's ability to get rid of the football and move in the pocket um the offensive line anything else that goes into it what are you actually seeing on tape that is causing this sack number to come down
0: yeah well since uh, the new york giants game i think like Everything has gotten better with regards to the protection. Um, obviously, I think the main thing that I would kind of point to is there's been a huge um, kind of emphasis in terms of we're going to do more quick game. And that that to me is is maybe the most significant factor of everything. Everyone wants to say, oh, it's Sam, it's, it's Larson, it's Chris Paul. It's just the play calling is, is, is more advantageous to promote positive pass pro. And what I mean by that is like when you when you go back and watch the first drives of these games, there's sequences because I chart quick game versus play pass versus five-step drop. There's There's sequences where it's six consecutive quick game, you know, married with runs and screens. And they never really push the football down the field until they find that opportunity where they can do that. And I think that's something that, people really undervalue when it comes to offensive line play and production. And one of the things that I think was really tough early in the season is you had this very effective pass game that lived in five-step drops. And, you know, I I do some consulting with pass rushers around the league, and one of the things that I really emphasize is you are hunting and looking for the five-step drop. That's where you're going to get your production. That's where you're going to get your opportunity to get a sack because if you compare it even to, you know, Mac Jones last week, uh, with New England, our rush couldn't really get going. But a big reason was because a huge point of emphasis for them was we're going to run a ton of quick game, we're going to run a ton of screens, and we're going to be very selective about when we push the ball down the field. And I think when you have an offensive line that is you know, not the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, so there's 31 other teams that are having this issue, um, you got to be very good about play calling. And I think one of the things that fans were frustrated when Chase and Montez were here is they're like, this off- the-, the defensive line isn't productive. They're not you know, creating the pressure numbers or the sack numbers, but when every single team that played us understood where kind of the horses were on the defense, and they and the offensive coordinators for the other teams called games that limited rush opportunities, and I think that's been one of the 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 most meaningful factor in in my perspective is that EB's just done a better job of not letting defensive linemen get in a rhythm and tee off. And the other things are important. They are, they are relevant. Like Sam's, I think playing better. I think he understands how to manage pressures a little bit better. Obviously, like we talked about on the podcast earlier in the week, I think, I think he can still grow in that area, but there has been growth. He understands where the ball should go. All those things are important, but I think it's the play calling that I would say, that's the thing that is probably most affecting this, this sack number.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And on a baseline number before you even get into any, uh, chess level football analysis, the checkers level is math. Like it's opportunities, right? If there's just not, if the percentages stay the exact same, and let's say they, I don't think they have, I think they've come down because of those other factors that we talked about, but even if they were to stay the exact same in terms of pressure to sack, if you're dropping back 50 times a game versus 30, that's going to result in way less sacks. And so on a sheer opportunity basis, E.B. has reduced the number with play calls of opportunities for Sam Howell to get sacked. You add in the fact that that has a second level, uh, you know, impact, if you will, a second layer to it, that it breaks the rhythm of those pass rushers, that they can't feel like they're, they're just learning how the tackle is setting. They're setting the same way pretty much every time because it's a five step drop. They, they're understanding where we can get away with certain things. We know we have time to run a stunt or a game, which is something the commanders yeah. have struggled with because it's going to be five-step drop and we're not going to pull ourselves out of a run lane. We're not going to pull ourselves out of pursuit of a quick game. Like we can we can do things as a pass rush unit that exposes an offensive line and exposes a quarterback. And those have been, I don't want to say uh, eliminated, but largely reduced like to normal levels. So you can't eliminate them always. Uh, there are certain time score situations, plus the benefits and the upsides of drop back passing are worth it, um, as long as you don't enhance the negatives and the downsides. And so I think that the play calling is absolutely the biggest factor, which is, you know, it's just funny that that's happened with the same or at the same time that you have two new offensive linemen and thus everyone is like oh it's definitely the two new offensive linemen that's the thing that changed and it's like well not it's it is but it's not the only thing that changed and and if we're really looking at it it's not the biggest factor
0: yeah and i think when you look at the new york giants game i think that's going to be kind of a key point this year for this offense is that they realized things had to change and i think they did a pretty good job of overhauling it and again i think eb was kind of on the fringe of something from a play calling standpoint in that game, but obviously said, ex- the
1: second half was way different than the first in that game.
0: Yeah. And uh, the the execution just wasn't there, you know, and I think when they get into the last two games, the game against Philly, the game against New England, obviously New England is a defense lacking high level talent. The The Philadelphia Eagles are a team that is very simple in terms of what they present to you. So good opportunities in both cases to kind of get right. Uh, But I think that EB's found kind of a play calling rhythm. You know, we mentioned the fullback the other day, like getting into different personnel groupings, presenting different looks, presenting different formations. All that stuff just gives the defense more stuff to think about, more stuff to process. And I think you mentioned the quick game stuff. When you are rushing on a three-step drop, it's almost impossible to generate any type of meaningful pressure from the defensive line. So if we can get in those situations and I can maximize those and find easy throws for Sam, that's awesome. And, and you mentioned the two offensive linemen. I don't want to make it sound like that they're playing poorly or anything like that. It's just, sure. I don't, I, I don't think the they're difference... just not
1: playing significantly better than the Correct. guys they replace.
0: Yeah. And I, and like, I think there is people want to give Tyler Larson credit. And I think there, there may be, this is something you'd have to talk with Tyler about and talk with the staff about um, because you know the the sack numbers come way down i think tyler does a pretty good job or they've done a better job of identifying fronts and protections and things like that is that entirely um tyler or is sam taking more responsibility in that like where does where do you assign credit in that situation um but what we can say is that it is it's improved over the last couple weeks so i think there's a there's a lot of positive things coming out of this but i think the catalyst for it all and i i think this is pretty non-negotiable in my opinion is the play calling is more diverse and that, that diverse play calling is given these guys an opportunity to kind of settle in and do some different stuff so
1: yeah no definitely I will say this about the offensive line I think the thing that got misconstrued about what we and others who were trying to be like no it's not the offensive line we're we're saying is it wasn't that the offensive line was perfect obviously But it was also like the quality of the non-bad snaps it wasn't like they were giving up pressures all the time it's not like they were losing all the time in the run game or in pass pro like there wasn't a constant you know amount of pressure on sam there were some bad quick losses and some of those were the sacks and so it felt a lot worse than it was but if you're going to play 65 snaps and 55 of them are good and you have 10 bad snaps like that's not great but it's very different then if in those 10 snaps you give up six sacks then you maybe give up three sacks and 65 snaps but 25 of them are actually bad because there's pressures yeah. there's you know oh you got to scramble and throw the ball away like th- there was generally pretty good play on the plays that weren't really bad and those numbers were in a good place in terms of the skew and I think what has happened from the offensive line standpoint with Chris Paul with Tyler Larson is some of the really bad stuff that did slip through has gotten cleaned up a little bit. So there's an extra three to five snaps a game, let's say, where Nick Gates or Sadiq Charles might have lost quickly, whether it's physical or mental mistake, that Chris Paul and Tyler Larson are doing a little bit better job. And those half-second margins of even don't lose as quickly do make a difference in the NFL.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, in the Philly game, for example, like Chris and Charles, like weren't on the same page all the time and there was opportunities for pressure that you never see because Sam gets the ball out of his hand. Right. Right. Like I think that's another thing that it's Sam understands kind of his role in the pass protection, I think, a little bit more. And it's not perfect, but it's getting better. And I, I think the thing that I go back to all the time is like when you look at offensive line play around the league, what the commander's offensive line was doing outside of the New York Giants game. And I know it's you can't take away games cuz that game happened, but it it's on it's average. And I know fans don't want to hear that. I think cuz there's this expectation that, you know, like Trent Williams was here, Brandon Sheriff, these like, you know, yeah. awesome kind of monoliths of offensive line play were here for a long time and that's the standard for the position. But when you look at the the, the rest of the league, most of the offensive line is is average. And I think that they were well safely in that bucket and probably trending to the positive side. And I think you're getting to see now that positive line play that we were kind of trying to identify and allude to earlier in the season because of the play calling becomes Sam's doing better. And I do think, you know, Larson's doing a good job and Chris Paul's doing a good job. And I think there is something there with kind of the bigger bodies creating a deeper pocket for him to kind of see throws a little bit more effectively i think there is something there we'd have to go back and do a more of a longitudinal look at the the last uh, couple of games or whatever but um i think there's something there but to me it's it's this is what this group was and are they going to still give up quick pressure yeah they are but can Sam get the ball out of his hand quickly? Yes. Why is he doing that? Because we're running more quick game. Because we're we're do we're not letting the defense get in a rhythm and attack us. We're staying out of third and long situations a little bit more effectively. All those things are contributing to this, and I think um, that's something that there there is a level of nuance and gray here that I think fans uh, need to understand. And I think that um, you know, I think I think we're trying to we're trying to pin that down for them.
1: Yeah, and I will say this though, it, what it doesn't mean is that um they sh- that, that actually the o-line is perfectly fine moving forward for Correct. the rest of the time sam here like they can get better and they should get better because i think what you see in philadelphia for instance is a quarterback in jalen hurts who with elite offensive line play in front of him can play at a ridiculously high level and if right. you give that to sam like i think he is also capable of playing at a really high level like if you can eliminate the thing that makes him uh, or that that is his biggest weakness like without having to coach it out of him, just because you protect him with an Alito line, that seems like a very good roster building strategy. And especially with the money and the picks that you're gonna have, assuming that Sam is your guy moving forward um, because of the, or specifically over the next couple of years where he's on this rookie contract, like you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to go spend big money in free agency on whether it's a guard, whether it's tackle, um, whether it's both, and then also get drafting someone high, uh in in april to to fill out that line so like they should invest in the o-line and take it from pretty average to really good or maybe even great that is something that i would certainly endorse and i think you're with me in terms of roster building but for now understanding where they are in the current moment i think that's how the the breakdown goes if you will
0: Yeah, a lot of teams have to kind of deal with like average. I think Minnesota is a great example. And, you know, Minnesota, like, I think that is a perfect example of what we're talking about. The offensive line on paper is pretty average, right? Kirk did a great job of elevating that group week in and week out, getting the ball out of his hand quickly. And so, because you have all this money invested in Kirk Cousins from a contract standpoint, you can't invest it in the offensive line. And so, you kind of like take your lumps there, and and the quarterback has to elevate that group. But in this situation, like you're talking about, and like it was with Jalen Hurst when he first got in the league, you know, on on his rookie deal, you can do make some investments along the offensive line that you wouldn't be able to make otherwise, um, and that can elevate a young player for a couple of years. And so, I do think there is a lot of merit to this idea. Like if you could get this offensive line, I don't know, thirty percent better this offseason. Then I look at Sam and I say he's actually very similar to Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts holds the heck out of the football. It doesn't show up as sack um, as a sack statistic because that offensive line's so good. And I think that's a really interesting comparison. So you know, kind of for in, in a perfect world, like imagine if he's playing behind the Philadelphia offensive line, we're probably not even having this conversation. We don't even know this is an issue for Sam in terms of you know a high um, pressure to sack ratio. But I think you know this is good for him i think this is good for him to learn how to how to develop his his pocket awareness his understanding of where the ball needs to be his rhythm and timing in the nfl because if he can elevate this group then that money can go elsewhere it can go to the defense it can go other places on the roster i do agree i think they will make an investment there at some point this offseason but i think this is this is good offensive production um with a with a solid group of offensive linemen that are overperforming a little bit so i think that's coaching i think all those things go into it but to your point um it would be nice yeah if you had like a you know <laughs> right. a wall in front of them you felt pretty good about but this is this is pretty common for for most teams in the nfl
1: yeah and you look at you know that's the way not saying that sam's going to be drew brees but that is the way brees did it for all those years in new orleans he had studs in front of him and they knew that that's what they needed and if they did that then drew Brees could be drew Brees. and so um i think that's again solid roster building hopefully that's something the commanders are doing uh this offseason presuming that sam does enough over the next eight games uh, which are a heck of a test starting with seattle this weekend uh to prove that he is the starting quarterback for the future for this team take Command podcast from odyssey sports craig hoffman here logan paulson there we will be at tap sports bar mgm national harbor on sunday to preview this game for three hours we'll also keep you updated on all things going on on around the league in the one o'clock window as well um, so you can come hang out with us, tap sports bar mgm national harbor for the take command pregame show and of course you can listen all three hours on 106.7 the fan the team 980 watch it on youtube So uh, we just talked about the pass protection, Logan. Uh, How does it hold up against this Seattle defense? We're going to find out. They've got a lot of talent. What do you see when you watch them on tape?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the um, you know in terms of defensive front, looking start there because we're just talking about the offensive line. Boye Mafe, the second round pick last year out of Minnesota, has been kind of their guy. He's had a sack in the last six games, so which is a pretty cool record. I think that shows a little bit of consistency. He probably should have had a couple more against Baltimore, but Lamar Jackson did Lamar Jackson stuff and got out of some stuff. Um, he's he's kind of their guy. I think the other guys on that defensive line are are fine but there's nobody that like jumps out to you as as being uh dominant i think what's the other defensive ends name if you could look that up i got it right here on my phone but um you know they're they're talented athletes that i think are are dynamic in terms of pass rush but um you know like they haven't been that productive and i think there's some issues there
1: talking about daryl taylor
0: Daryl, Daryl Taylor, thank you. And so I think that's one of the reasons you go out and you trade for Leonard Williams is to add a little bit of juice to your pass rush. So when you look at how they've got, they got it listed on the depth chart, how they played last week, they've got Boye Mafi on the offensive left and they've got um, Leonard Williams who plays basically in like this three, four structure they run. He plays the right defensive end. So like Chris Paul and Charles Leno you're gonna have to earn your paycheck this week. And, um, you know, obviously Taylor, I think is the other guy on the other side is is a good athlete and a good pass rusher. Remember, I kind of made that distinction. We were talking about Montez and Chase a couple weeks ago. He's yeah. not the best defensive end, but he's a good pass rusher. They've got a couple guys like that with some decent pass rush juice. It's just about can they turn that juice into production consistently. So it's, it's a group that I feel – I feel very comfortable with, you know, Moffay is the guy that's been very consistent for them. So you got to kind of star him. Leonard Williams, obviously a good football player, but there's not, it's not overly dynamic. They're good. It's a good D line, but it's not amazing. I think the thing that really, where they get a lot of miles out of is they do a really good job with their five man pressures and they don't do them all the time. They kind of run this Seattle cover three, cover two. They play a little bit of man, you know, that's kind of been an evolution of the system up there, but a, you know, pretty conservative coverage structure. And, uh, they are pretty selective about when they bring five man pressure. So they're bringing a nickel. Jamal Adams is a the guy they blitz quite a bit. They bring a linebacker occasionally, but they do a good, a really, really good job about turning those five man and pressures, five man pressures, into actual pressures and sacks. And I went and watched all of their takeaway cutups um, yesterday. So they have fourteen takeaways. I think they're like tenth in the NFL in takeaways or ninth in the NFL in takeaways. So they do turn the football over quite a bit. And what you find is a lot of those come off of. Those five man pressures, they just run them really, really effectively. And it's not like they're doing anything crazy. You can just tell they they have a very simple defense, very straightforward defense. And one of the things that allows you to do is be a f- really, really good at what you do. And that's what they are. They're really good in those five man pressure situations. About hey, I'm not rushing. I'm not rushing this guy right down the middle. I'm attacking his inside shoulder, so the guard can't push through to this blitzer. The blitzer is going to be free to the quarterback. The quarterback, you know makes an errant throw they get an interception because in the back end you know Tyreek Woolen's not playing as well as he was last year but still a dynamic football player converted receiver can catch the football obviously um the kid from Illinois his name is Devin, Witherspoon. Devin yeah. Witherspoon is balling right now Trey uh Trey Brown I think is the other corner he's got two interceptions he's doing a great job so they do have guys in the back end that can hurt you so I think it's just about and they've been very effective as a defense outside of the Baltimore game which I think is probably more on the offense. If I were going to assign any kind of blame here, I think the offense turned the ball over four times, two interceptions, two fumbles, if I remember correctly. Um, but they, they've been very consistent. So I think this defense, while simple, is pretty good, and um, and they're they're well coached, and that's something that they weren't last year. Um, and I think that's a nice that's a nice thing to see up in Seattle, kind of harkening back to what they were. You know, when I was playing, kind of the Legion of Boom type stuff. So
1: yeah um obviously some of the simpler coverage structures uh sam has done better against this sure. year. we can talk about that in a second i just had a flashback though um when you meant you said jamal adams name and i was like oh god uh that's right he's there the last time washington played jamal adams was 2019 and he was a terror What like, was he? three three sacks three tackles for loss like he was everywhere uh, it was one of his last games with the jets i think before he got traded but yeah oh my god uh peak jamal adams was was something else there's a reason seattle traded two first round picks for him it hasn't really that's worked crazy. out for them that's crazy um, because obviously he's been hurt a ton but um back healthy and he's not he's not what he used to be but still a good football player conjure Diggs is is also very good so they've yeah. got a ton of talent in that back end um uh, which is obviously scary like th- to me the thing that i look at their depth chart and i'm like god they got speed everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see if Jordan Brooks plays at inside linebacker. He's he's banged up. But if not, like they got before. Devin, they got Devin Bush behind him. Like and again, like Devin Bush hasn't been what I think he was expected to be coming out in the draft. Otherwise he'd still be, you know, what was it Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh where he yeah. started. Um and would, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, he's gonna be the next great Steelers linebacker. And he's he's not, but like this the team speed they have is I think going to be interesting to watch that matchup and you know, watching Ken sam adjust to uh, from a new england team that it lacked that it didn't have like yeah that's most, a great point you know insane athletes all over the field to a a, a team that's got plays pretty simple structures but it's going to have guys everywhere
0: and it, what you see is with that team speed that you're alluding to is that the windows even though you can kind of identify those coverage structures <laughs> excuse me is um is there's small windows because guys are ripping in the football. And I think – and they do enough variation. They play enough cover three. They mix in enough cover two. They mix in enough man where if you're not really dotting your I's and crossing your T's, you'll throw them the ball because you, you think it's a different coverage than it is and, and you'll get an interception. And it's not like they they don't live in that the same way that New England does with regards to like, hey, we're trying to be varied. We're trying to be, you know, this exotic – Coverage structure, exotic blitzes, they don't do that, but it's just kind of enough of a changeup, kind of like we were talking about with the pass rush stuff earlier. It's enough of a changeup that it keeps you on your toes offensively. So, um, I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I think Sam should do fine with it. I think the offense should do fine with it in general, but I think the the thing that you kind of circle with a red pen is like how do these corners match up with our receivers and our playmakers? Because, like you said, they are pretty dynamic playmakers. And like I said, Tyreek, um, is not playing as well as he was last year, but he still is a is a he's six four and he runs a four three forty and it shows up on film and he's kind of all over the field in that regard. So you know, can you take advantage of that? Can you take advantage of the uh, of Trey Brown and a lot of teams have tried but have not been very successful. So outside of Baltimore, where they absolutely took him behind the woodshed, but that was more of them running the football and that was kind of their Achilles' heel last year was they were bad against the run and prior to the baltimore game they were pretty good they were they were a pretty good defense like a top 12 defense so it's i think i think it'll be a very very interesting challenge very unique uh in terms of what they're going to be seeing from an athlete standpoint for
1: sure um so we play predict a game plan uh here put put you as eb how yeah. do you attack them do you do you try to repeat some of what baltimore did and, and run it or you just go like that's what baltimore does it's not what we do we got to we got to try to find ways to to create good matchups, give Sam easy looks, and and get the ball out of his hands.
0: Yeah, I think that's what you're going to – that's what you have to do. And it's crazy because when you look at, like, they played Cincinnati, and I know Joe Burrow wasn't right, but I think that game was 17-13. Cincinnati won, but it was kind of a slugfest. They've held a lot of teams to not a lot of points. Arizona to 10. Uh, they had another game in there where it was 13. Like, very low-scoring affairs. And um, – and the offense for Seattle has been turning the football over quite a bit, so I think this is a good defense. It's just about kind of finding what you're looking for, and I think I would kind of—I don't want to say cut, cut and reuse what I said, what I used against Philly, but it's going to be very similar to that. You're going to kind of know what they're in. Can you take advantage of it? Can you throw the quick game? Can you throw the screens? Can you get Sam settled in? Can you get the crowd to quiet down a little bit? I want to I talk about the crowd for
1: sure day. in a second. Yeah.
0: That's that's going to be a huge thing for them. So if I'm, if I'm doing a game plan, I say, what's been effective for them? It's been the quick game, screens, selective about your shot plays, and giving Sam some autonomy at the line of scrimmage. And I think that's what you're going to see. And I think Tyler Larson in this game has to be excellent because you're dealing with all this crowd noise. And like I said, they don't blitz a ton, but they, they're good at the five-man pressures. So can we help Sam identify those five-man pressures? Because we have five offensive linemen we should be able to pick it up. Let's make sure we get them targeted correctly.
1: So that brings us to the crowd noise, Um, because they've done a great job of giving Sam this autonomy at the line of scrimmage. He's able to do, you know, hand signal this, but it's also yell that and, and, you know, Rip, yeah. Liz, whatever you know, whatever these line calls are week to week, uh, and and now now you can't say anything because in Seattle it is probably the loudest stadium in the NFL. It's just a, a cool design. Like it, this stadium, for those that don't know, is like a genuine feat of engineering. It's fifty thousand. It's not. It's not like it's a hundred thousand people in there like Dallas is or some of these other stadiums that are monstrous. It's a cool stadium. But but it's fifty thousand, and the way they designed it is there's like overhangs over the the stands on either side, it's open on one end uh, where like the 12th man flag is. I think everyone's seen that. Um, but the way the sound from the stands, like the angle of the actual stands were built at and where those awnings are over top, the sound bounces like this and it all triangulates down onto the field. Mm-hmm. And so it's super loud, very specifically on the field. And everybody in Seattle knows it, and they get really loud on third down, and they get real and like they're smart fans. They get really loud when right. you're in the huddle. Like I remember, Cool used to talk about this um, when I was working with him at 980 way back when. He's like some fans are smart fans and some fans are dumb fans and the right. dumb fans will let the play call happen in the huddle and then as the team walks in the line of scrimmage it's like all right get loud for your defense and it's like cool we already did the communication part thanks for uh thanks for playing now you're sure. just getting me like amped up for the play now Seattle it will be loud all the way through you're gonna have to yell in the huddle uh you, you're gonna have to be really really crystal clear with your communication like Sam is going to be hoarse at the post game press conference for sure um and the ability to make adjustments to the line of scrimmage nevertheless snap the football um and and have an actual snap count is going to be severely limited as long as this is a close game and the crowd's into it so how do you combat that especially with a young quarterback who has probably never faced something i mean denver's crowd is pretty good um but i don't think he's he's faced something quite like this as a pro
0: yeah he's played pretty big time college football so he's had some exposure to it but obviously nfl you play at
1: clemson like it's it's loud as hell, it's but loud. it's different. It's different in college.
0: There's something about that stadium, man, and I think you alluded to it with the engineering. But like, you'll be on the field. I'll be right next to the offensive lineman, and I, I cannot hear what he's saying, you know. And I think that's something that it, it's it sounds crazy, but we're two feet from each other, and I have to like turn and look at him while he's making the call to make sure that I get the correct call. I understand where the run's going. It's not like usually you get to line of scrimmage, and the, and you know the center will be like, "Hey, we're going." You know, 51, 51. And then I go, oh, okay, well, we're going to triple to 58 or whatever. But now I got to look. I got to see, physically see his point. And that's the other thing. Like they shift around a lot. Th- not Seattle doesn't, but if they do move around a little bit, it affects the targets, it affects the runs. So um, it is going to be challenging. I remember uh, this is, we didn't do this in Seattle, but Kirk was always really good about getting in the huddle and like kneeling down and like sitting on his haunches kind of and like barking the play up into the huddle and it really made it easier to hear it. as opposed to a lot of quarterbacks who kind of stand in and then talk down because when i was um i forget where i was but i actually had to the quarterback wouldn't do that i think it was jay cutler and i actually had to like get on my hands and knees so i could see his mouth because he was just kind of talking to the ground but it's those are the types of things that matter here right they they, it seems ridiculous but it's how because so much of what you do offensively is communication so Can I get the play? Do I understand what I'm doing? And so, for Sam to understand, like, how's he going to deliver the play in the huddle? How loud does he have to be? Does the offensive line, like, that was another thing Kirk was excellent at. He'd be in the huddle and be like, look at the offensive line, yell the two jet, yell the pass concept to the receiver, point to the Z if the Z was tagged. You know, like, he was really good at doing that. And I think, and Matt Ryan was excellent at it too. And Deshaun Watson was excellent at it. Like, the the, the top flight quarterbacks that I played with, we're excellent at that stuff. And so uh for Sam, I gotta I haven't had to do that really. Can I learn how to do that? You mentioned Denver is a good stadium, but it's gonna be different. Then at the line of scrimmage, that gets crazy, you know. If 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 you're not really dialed in, if you if your team isn't dialed in, um, that can be really, really challenging. And they've added a little bit more of that, and I think it's really helped them. So right. like it's not just Sam, but it's the whole offense being aware right. of the situation. And that this I know this sounds like to a lot of people like maybe it's overkill. But that's how you have to operate in these crazy loud environments like in in the dome um when in minnesota's new stadium it gets loud like that you have to I have to really think about it. I have to look at the ball to get snapped. I have to kind of peripher the quarterback. If he comes to the line of scrimmage, I have to get up and look at it. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And uh, you have to signal the routes. Like you can't just spark them out anymore. you got to signal what you're doing. So it is a comprehensive thing. And I I remember when I was in Atlanta, this is something we used to do. Matt Ryan used to whisper the play. We wouldn't have any crowd noise. But he gets to line of scrimmage, he'd be like, all right. He'd be like, hey, twins, twins right you know and it was like you have to really and he'd whisper his cadence and he'd whisper the check and um you had to just be really dialed in and I think if you have a methodology for that in the week it's very very helpful and so some teams will bring out the speakers but the one thing I I respect about Matt Ryan a lot is that he was thinking about it for every walkthrough we'd be in like sneakers in the gym and he would be whispering his cadence he'd be whispering the play so that we'd we'd get used to not being able to hear it. And we'd have to develop our own way of hearing it. And I don't, I don't think Sam's going to do that because he's a young guy, but what is, why the coach is going to help him kind of develop that process would be interesting.
1: Yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be a little later in the week, but maybe we can cut up the clip and send it to you and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think about the whisper practice?
0: It, nope. it was, okay. I remember the first time we had an away game when I was in Atlanta and I was like, he's like legit whispering the cadence. <laughs> like I can't, you know? And I was like, this is really smart but all yeah. the guys that had been there, it was like old hat. They, you know, they had their yeah. way of like hearing it and stuff. So it's interesting. Smart.
1: It's really, really yeah, smart. Very smart. Yeah. Like, why did Matt Ryan play 18 years and <laughs> win an MVP and uh, yeah. probably going into the hall of fame? Uh, that's, that's why. Cause he just, he thinks about the game in that level of detail. If you reread stories about like Peyton Manning, same type of stuff. Yeah. Um, they always have a way. Um, but I think it's just to to kind of wrap up this point and wrap up the thoughts on the offense. Like, part of the success of the last couple of weeks is they've been in good looks they've been in good plays they've gotten themselves out of bad plays um, and they've taken advantage of, of certain things where it's like oh yeah we got them okay let's get into that play that you know for this formation or this uh you know this coverage this front this alignment and if you can't have that communication you're stuck in bad plays and that's obviously not a great way to operate offensively Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. take a man podcast from odyssey sports all right time for the commander's defense and what it can do against the seahawks offense of course we'll be talking about all of it after the game and see how, how it went here's the preview that'll be the uh, the post view if you will on youtube probably around nine o'clock ish uh, about 90 minutes after the game ends It'll be a late one on sunday with the 425 kickoff but we'll be on youtube for the instant reaction show of course that pod will also be in your audio feeds Monday morning but uh if you subscribe right now especially if you're watching this right now on 106.7 the fans youtube page subscribe button it's literally right there just go ahead and click it uh you know you get a little alert saying that we're live and uh you can come watch us uh when we record that slash live stream it on sunday night but uh the the commander's defense uh i think this is going to be a fun week for them in terms of a challenge like you've got a, a high variance type of offense uh before we started recording this slogan i was watching uh our guy colt mccoy's show Mm, scheme shane waldron does a phenomenal job as the oc they they give gino a lot of information pre-snap they use a lot of motion they've got some funky formations what do you like about this offense when you see it on tape and how do you think the commanders match up with it
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it falls in the, uh, you know, obviously Shane Waldron is a guy that is very much a part of the Shanahan tree. He comes from by way of Sean McVay. And so there's a lot of crossover there, like their keeper game, their boot game is very strong. They run the outside zone very well. They 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 utilize play action quite a bit. And I think they do a really good job finding explosive plays. I think, I don't remember the exact statistic, but they are, I think they're eighth in explosive passes they're 10th in explosive runs in the nfl and they don't have a lot of play volume which is another reason like so they're 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 even though they're 10th or they're 8th excuse me in explosive passes their percentage is much much higher and Mm -hmm. i think the thing that sticks out to me is like they do a lot of good stuff and they find these explosive plays and they they find these explosive opportunities but they're a disaster on third down. I think they're the 30 or the 29th team, in the NFL on terms of third down percentage, they're like 31.7%, something crazy like that. So they do it unless they get an explosive play, the offense kind of withers. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so I think, shane and the the offense there they do a great job of finding ways to get their explosive playmakers touches and it's there's a lot of them man dk obviously i'm a little surprised at how they're utilizing them at the moment they're kind of very vertical based route tree a couple years ago he was having a lot of success kind of with crossing routes kind of that mid mid to deep level crosser where you're like in that 15 yard range where you catch the ball moving and you just take it for touchdowns not so much of that anymore uh, tyler lockett is to me one of the most underrated receivers in the nfl jackson smith and jigba is the first round pick out of ohio state and you see his smoothness his athleticism jake bobo is a guy they undrafted free agent out of ucla who's been very productive them for them at points this year so they they have these explosive playmakers then they have the running backs too are outstanding football players uh walker walker the third awesome zach charbonnet from ucla Um, the tight end Noah Fant is a four I think he's a four four guy coming out of Iowa so they have all these explosive playmakers at at every position and um, they they do a good job of getting them the football and those guys do great stuff after the catch and that gives me probably the biggest level of consternation is I don't really give a damn how you are on third down if if you're good at finding explosive plays because this team the commanders have had a hard time stopping explosive plays through like some of those plays that you saw last week against new England were fine. Like, but this week with these explosive playmakers, they will not be fine and that'll be 21 points. And so the score will be 28 or 30 just off of those five explosive plays that new England missed and that this team will hit. So um, I think the one level of solace that I do take in watching them is their offensive line is extremely banged up. Um, they're on like their – Stone Forsyth is their swing tackle. He's been starting the last couple of games. He's hurt. He, he's he's banged up. He's been playing. But he's their swing guy. He's like their Cornelius Lucas. So he probably shouldn't be starting. Uh, Cross has had a regression from last year in terms of pass protection efficiency. I think they're banged up at the guard spots. They've, they've kind of had – three or four guys playing in there. They've played fine, but again, when you getting young guys, rookies in there, um, guys with very limited playing experience, they're good football players, but they're obviously not on the same page with a lot of stuff. Uh, watching the Cincinnati game, um, they did a great job, the uh, the Seattle offensive, getting down into the red zone, and then they'd give up two sacks, and then they'd have to kick a field goal. They probably should have won that game based on red zone trips, but they just gave up a ton of sacks, and they weren't very efficient in the red zone. So I think that's kind of what you see with them they've got this tremendous firepower they're they're a they're a powder keg of an offense but because of some of the protection issues because of the inefficiency on third down which is weird to me because you've got good third down players so I think that's more of a scheme thing you know it'd be interesting to talk to Colt about that after he did his breakdown but yeah. um that that to me is the difference is they're they're not good at sustaining drives but they are good at finding big chunk plays and the other thing that's incredibly important in terms of this analysis is Geno Smith has been turning the football over at a much higher rate than he was last year. So like you look at the Baltimore game for example, look at any game this year, really in the last probably four games, he they should have won decisively, but he's throwing two picks, he's got a fumble, you know, he's got a fumble and that they lose and an interception in the red zone. And that's something that again, in addition to the third down inefficiency, if you can maximize those turnovers when he when he throws you the football, catch that son of a gun because they've given they've let teams stay in games that, that had no business being in games. Arizona being a prime example.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gino on the year, nine touchdowns, seven interceptions, um, which is kind of crazy because Sam's got nine. But I guess the the Buffalo game really uh. Does, does he- that up. Well, how many fumbles uh, he also has a ton of fumbles too yeah i'm trying to find that number right now that's a, and... that's a hard number
0: to find just on the on the old google machine because google goes what are you talking about
1: yeah it says he's only got one and he's lost he had, it but that's he had two against baltimore right so i don't know what maybe that's as a runner um oh I don't because know. it'd be yeah. like
0: a sack fumble thing i got
1: gotcha. you yeah um i i can't i don't have a, a fumble stat on <laughs> that i can easily find so and i know that number's not right the one but yeah um point is yeah you got to take advantage uh when there's opportunities uh because they will give it to you and and i think you also just can't fall asleep you can't be like oh we're killing it because you get off the field on third down for four drives in a row they stink on third down They're the third worst team in the league it's 30 less than 32 percent it's like 31.7 percent. it's awful on third down but that doesn't mean that on the next first or second down they're not going to hit you for a 70 yarder and tyler lockett's been doing that forever um and one of the matchups that i think is really intriguing is like if i'm seattle I see what AJ Brown did to Forbes. Um, and I'm like, how do I get him on the field? How do I get DK matched up on him? And I'm gonna let DK big body him because I don't think that, that the kid can stop him. And Forbes was awesome last week, but he's doing it against like Tyquan Thornton. Um, Tyquan Thornton, all due respect is not DK Metcalf. And so (laughs) I think, I think if I'm Jack, like I gotta figure out how I'm going to prevent some of the bad matchups and you know, whether that's i'm hey bsj like i know you're not the biggest dude in the world uh you know girth wise like he's bsj's tall um yeah. which is helpful but like i'm you're gonna shadow dk um and it felt like they did that a little bit last week like they they moved bsj around quite a bit last week yeah they, and they I definitely wondered- get, he,
0: he draws a tough man every week he draws the best receiver which is tough man he's like that's in the slot that's outside but yeah man he's he's had a he's he's got I i don't want to be him if if i'm being honest because he, he has tough coverage matchups for sure he does
1: but like someone's got to do it and yeah, and right. he's probably your best i mean kendall like could you put kendall on dk maybe so and maybe that'd, that'd a be something I was, talking, I was
0: talking about with fred like who do you want where and you know obviously fred was like i want st juiced on metcalf but tano was like i'd prefer you know kendall because kendall's got a good feel for kind of you know route depths and you know uh dk when you watch him obviously he's a freak but he's not the most nuanced route runner you know he's kind of like aj right. brown in that way he's a little stiff doesn't separate great and so let kendall kind of match that up use his his brain to kind of position and get. The, then the problem is who's going to match up with locket because locket is kind of the opposite he's an excellent route runner great short area quickness you know and i think i think
1: um i actually think forbes kind of like yeah. my concern with forbes is the bigger receiver um yeah. And if you're going to throw balls deep, uh, like obviously Ken Forbes bite on a double move for sure. Um, and that route running savvy, there's a risk there, but his makeup speed. And, and like, if you're going to high point the football and make a play on it, uh, Tyler Maybe. Lockett's not the biggest dude.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And then I think the other one is like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Cause you know, like who do you put on him? Like, do you put Danny Johnson in and let St. Juice play outside? Is this, you know, is he the nickel this week and Forbes doesn't play that much or is it Forbes on Lockett um, And then, then BSJ. the problem is yeah the problem is does bfj need to play the slot and i think um you'd kind of be wasting him there in terms of matchup so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that I mean, that's um, what they did
1: last week though like bsj was in the slot a decent a amount lot.
0: well that way I mean, their best receiver was in the slot you know against right. uh what was his douglas or whatever his name was yeah. um <clears throat> number 81 so i think but to your point like their best i think jackson smith and jig was a good player but to me their best receivers are outside so i'm going to put Saint, I want St. Juiced on one of those guys. And does that mean, and I'm fuller is going to be on the field. So who plays the slot? Is it Danny Johnson? He's the backup. Nick, that's kind of what I'm saying is right. How do you allocate those resources? And if you think Fuller can do it, are you okay with putting BSJ on Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy that is to me like their third option?
1: Right. I think that's a, a great question. Um, and, and a, a interesting uh, thing that Jackson have to figure out, but also to me, like, let's say they do, they go with that route. I would be like, uh, Emmanuel, even when it's zone, you line up over Lockett. Like, because I, I don't want those cover three situations where you wind up essentially in man coverage one on one down the field on DK Metcalf. Like, really? I, because that's been the problem, right? Like, if Emmanuel's playing on the right side, you just put DK over there in a situation where you think they're going to play cover three and it turns into man to man out there, like on a vertical route. And that's been some of the issues it's like sometimes it's cover one and it's, it truly is man to man but sometimes like it's a cover three look and you're just screwed so like how do you make sure that you genuinely keep forbes away from dk or do you just say like it's the nfl we're gonna have to live with this and hope for better results this time he played great last week maybe his confidence is better if it was me I would find ways to to because I don't want to just play a bunch of man coverage like that's obviously one way around it is to be like yeah we'll, we'll man up and just everybody follow their guy wherever they go um, yeah, but I don't, I don't think know this, I move. don't think this team is uh, is well suited for that so I would I would find ways to make sure that that Forbes is not dealing with DK literally as often as possible
0: yeah and I think the other thing that's gonna be interesting is how do you handle the big nickel situation and, and this is a obviously um yeah, um, uh, Khalid Hudson's been playing a little bit of the big nickel like, and it's allowed Cam to play a little bit more of the post. But this week with Noah Fant, do you want him down the box? And who are you two young? Then You have the two young safeties back there. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that this offense presents in terms of stopping, in terms of personnel. And I think to your point, like if I'm Jack, I'm trying to go a little bit more conservative here from a coverage structure standpoint. I really want them to try and drive the length of the field because they've right. shown that they just are not consistent enough at that to do it i don't care if that percentage jumps up a little bit if they're in that 40 percent range but i'm i don't I, what i really don't want is explosive plays and it's one of our favorite statistics but you know we get those explosive plays the likelihood of scoring goes from five percent to 55 percent or whatever it is so um that's kind of how they've lived through the first couple of weeks of the nfl season so i'm gonna be like hey let's get like deep cover two, and then the problem there is you don't have Cody Barton anymore, who's been pretty good as a Tampa two player in terms of feeling out where to match and how to do stuff. So, do you feel comfortable with Jamin you're doing also, that? You're also lighter in
1: the box, like because yeah. that's the other solution. Is like, okay, well, how do you eliminate the cover three situations? You don't play cover three; you play a bunch of cover two. Okay, well, then you got a too high look, and the box is a little bit lighter every snap. Yeah. So that's not exactly ideal either.
0: It's tough, and I and I think like to your point, they've got those two young running backs are excellent, and their offensive line, well, not great. They've got some big hosses in there, man. Guys that are explosive and like people-moving style of offensive linemen. Very, very unique to Seattle. They always seem to find guys like that. So they can run versus light boxes and kind of move people off the spot in a way that is very unique to them. It's not always the prettiest. It's like kind of messy. Combinations aren't always clean. But, gosh, they got some big hosses in there that can move people off the football. So you you have to negotiate that. And that's one of the problems about playing an offense with explosive pieces is you've got – well, I think we listed off one, two, three, four, five. It's like six people that are explosive playmakers. Right. How do we allocate resources to cover these guys? And so and that's not even getting to like some of the technical stuff they do. Like from a keeper standpoint, like those things put defensive ends in blenders. They make it hard for the linebackers. And you've got fast guys running to spots. It's it's gonna be a challenge this week. But I think if I'm Jack, I would err towards being a little bit more conservative, keep everything in front of you. Tell Percy to get back, you know, don't let that post over the top get you this week. We can't miss it the first time like we did against Atlanta. We can't miss it like we did against New England. Let's get back in coverage there and be smart and play a play a conservative brand of football. And I know that's not the sexiest thing of all time, but I want I want Seattle to show me that Geno Smith can go the length of the field on an eleven play drive and not turn the football over and not go three and out. So yeah. I think that's what I would do.
1: I mean, the other alternative uh, is kind of swinging all the way the other way. And maybe you, you know, they'll probably do a little bit of both. I would say probably lean more towards what you just said, right? But if you if you blitz him like yeah. hard, you get the ball out quickly because he's got to get the ball out quickly. You obviously risk then the catch and run explosive play. Um, but can you make Gino make decisions quicker than he wants to? And will he throw you one? Like, I, I do think in select situations, plan. you should probably do some of that. Um, and then I think the pass rush is going to be an interesting thing this week too. Um, they do a lot with motion and they try to give Gino a lot of answers before the test, which means, or uh, before you take the test and you know, that means you got a lot of shifting fronts and different things. But you mentioned the keeper game, the discipline becomes really important. Um, but they do all this stuff that you have to be aware of. And we talked earlier with, with the commanders, uh, uh offensive line, like one of the things they've done to help them is doing a lot more stuff to break the rhythm of the pass rush. And I think Seattle does a good job of that. and so can like last week is like throw it out like don't everyone's like ah now they traded the two pass rushers and they don't have any pass rush ah and it's like "Ah, mac jones gets rid of the ball the only thing he does as well is he gets rid of the ball quickly doesn't go to anywhere in particular often (laughs) but he does get it out of his hand this week gino will hold it he will try to make a play can you get home and when you get home can you sack fumble like can you make a play like this could be a huge deron Payne type of game where he has one of those impact plays that you're like, oh, that's why we paid that guy all this money. And he's had a couple this year. He hasn't been as consistent, but like he still has a knack for making the big one. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of some of the things that I'm looking for for sure on that side of the ball as well.
0: I totally agree. I think, um, you know, like like I said, when you look at the Cincinnati game, for example, that they got home with the four-man rush quite a bit, and those guys did a great job of, in critical situations, uh, low red zone, third down, of maybe they're not getting sacks, but they're getting pressures they're getting them off the spot. They're forcing errant throws or batting passes down. And so it wasn't like a super consistent pressure, but in the big moments, they were able to get it done. And I think that's also kind of reflective of how Shane Waldron calls games. You know, they get these third and longer situations it's a very it's very drop back heavy they get in second and 10 in the red zone it's drop back heavy and I felt like um, Cincinnati was able to kind of key in on that rhythm and then make plays when they had to so um, big game obviously for that defensive line big game for Jack too you know kind of a lot of problems to solve here and I think the pressure thing is interesting I like that a lot can you bring a little bit of five-man pressure zone pressures can you just disrupt this group that like I said the offensive line for them they've got some talented people but you know, they're not playing really well together because there's a lot of new pieces kind of coming in and out. So can you maximize that? And right. um, I'm really, again, this is one of those things where you're, you're curious to see how Sam does offensively in terms of managing what they do and managing the noise. And can he continue to build on last week's performance? And then it kind of comes to Jack and getting these guys ready to play a, a pretty good offense, pretty explosive offense. And um, if they can figure it out and find a good solution, Uh, I think they can win this football game, but it's going to be a big lift for sure.
1: Yeah. People have asked me all week, like, what do you, what do you expect? I expect them to compete. Um, We'll see, we'll see what that turns into, but I do expect them to go out there and compete. Um, And, you know, I also don't know what to expect from Seattle. Like, are they, are they wounded and and like fatally flawed now after Baltimore kicked their ass or are they angry and ready to come back and play a great game at home after getting their butts kicked and, and they're, you know, the, the well, bounce you said, back is real. You
0: said this the other day, man, like Baltimore is like maybe the best team in football right now. Yeah. Offensive defense, special teams, they can run the ball. They got a good quarterback. So, I think that might be an anomaly compared to what I've seen from the rest of the year. So I, th- I still think they're a good sure. team
1: despite that loss to Baltimore. Right. But like how to emotionally, how to yeah, handle it? Like, if, you know, is there, is there a letdown? And then they're like, oh, oh man, all right, well, at least we have Washington. Like, we'll just walk in there and beat them and we'll be <laughs> fine. Or they like, no, we're pissed and we're about to go destroy these dudes. And uh, right. you know, that obviously is going to have a big, big impact on the game as well we'll be talking about it more on sunday take a man pregame show we'll be live at tap sports bar mgm national harbor you can truly come hang out with us the entire show because we start at 1 p.m uh come watch the games come hang out uh listen to to us breaking down the game hope to see you there come say hi as always when i tell you to come say hi please do it in a commercial break when you talk to us when we're on the air it doesn't really work that well uh, but we'd love to see you and say what's up uh in between us talking uh and then we'll be back for the post game show on youtube late on sunday night for logan i'm craig see y'all on the radio until then thanks for watching and listening to take Command.